worship team. So good. I thought I might be losing my voice this week, so I was kind of thinking, maybe I won't sing the songs, and you had to go do Man of Sorrows, and I can't not sing that. Uh, So it is good to be here today. Welcome to Journey. It's good to see your faces. My name is Nathan McCallum. I am a Journey Group leader here, and I get the opportunity again this week to preach God's Word to our hearts today. Uh, And so if you're here, it's just good to see you. If you're watching online, uh, it is good to have you joining us as well. If you're watching from your beach condo on spring break, and you, uh, we're just glad that you're here. And if you, you know, kind of pick up any hint of jealousy in my mouth, you are only slightly perceptive because there is way more than a hint of jealousy. Uh, I would love to be at the beach, but I'm grateful to be here with you. Uh, we are staycationing uh, for spring break, which basically means that I try to work while simultaneously making sure that the house isn't burned down, there's not eight hours of screen time. Um, and uh, my wife and I try to get some things done and maybe create a memory or two as well. So that's kind of where we're at for this week. Uh, but during this season in our church, uh, a season of transition, of course, as we've been talking about, there's a lot going on uh, around us, and it's easy for us to be consumed with questions, consumed with frustrations, I'm sure, for some, consumed uh, with hurt uh, for many. And yet I do know as well that like others here today, at the same time, maybe feeling a sense of hope, maybe feeling a sense of excitement, maybe about possibilities that, that might be laying ahead for them. And these are all natural emotions. And, and some of you probably are waffling between all of those, right? I mean, depending on the day, depending on the moment, you're, you're going from one emotion to the next. And so, uh, as I said last week, uh, I think what's important for us right now and actually what we need right now most, what we need most is not necessarily all of our questions answered. What we need most is not necessarily immediate healing. And honestly, what we need most is not some sort of swift change or transition either. What I believe we need the most as a church is to see our shepherd. What we need most is to see our shepherd. And I know just to say that in 2022 in Arkansas is just a weird thing to say, right? I mean, like it's an odd metaphor in the Bible that God is a shepherd, that we are sheep. It's not exactly like super inspiring to think about yourself as a sheep. Um, But I do think because a shepherd and sheep is a metaphor in scripture for God and his people, it is important for us to have a good understanding of who we are, a good understanding of who we are and a good understanding of who our shepherd is and what he's like. Shepherding, again, like for us, is such an odd thing. It's not something that we see a lot where we live and in our time, but it was an occupation that was very common in the Bible times and still is in other parts of the world. Israel's greatest king, King David in the Old Testament, was a shepherd before he was ever a king. In fact, he wrote the passage we're going to be going through together today. The shepherds were the first to get the announcement of, the, of birth of Christ. The angels appeared to the shepherds. I mean, if social media was around back then, the shepherds would have been like first like, 
which is kind of odd to think about because they were more of a lowly occupation, which is also interesting because God oftentimes, as I've already mentioned, compares himself to a shepherd in the scriptures, that God would actually identify himself with such a lowly occupation is worth noting. And even Jesus, who ta- he talks a lot about shepherding. He tells parables about shepherds. He talks about having a hundred sheep and one getting lost and that he would leave the 99 to find the one. You see, I know for us, it's odd to think about God as a shepherd or us as sheep, but it's a very biblical metaphor. And so last week, what we did was we started with talking about the heart of the shepherd. What is the heart of the shepherd like? And we said basically from Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30, where Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We looked at the fact that the condition of our shepherd's heart is gentle and lowly. He is not weak, but he applies his strength to tender situations. He's gentle, he's lowly. And the way that we engage with his gentle and lowly heart is to come to him. Come to me, he says, to repent, to turn away from living life our way, from doing things the way we want, to come to him. And that when we do come to him and we engage his gentle and lowly heart, we will find rest for our souls. That's what we will experience, rest for our souls. This week, what I think we need to do is maybe look a little bit at broadening our understanding of what the shepherd is like. Not just his heart, but what is it like for us to live our life with the shepherd? And to do this, we're gonna be looking at what is quite possibly, most likely, the most famous and known passage in the Bible. Now, I know a lot of people will say, well, maybe that's John 3, 16. Um, I mean, lately, we, we, we all know that, everybody knows the verse, you shall not judge. Um, we all know, hey, in the beginning, God created heaven and the earth. That's, those are things that a lot of people know. But as far as an entire chapter, Psalm 23 is probably the most familiar. And the reason for that is because we hear it so much outside the church. Psalm 23 finds its home quite often in funerals, in cemeteries and in hospitals. And it makes sense because we talk about the valley of the shadow of death in Psalm 23. But here's the deal, I don't think it needs to be relegated to funerals, cemeteries and hospitals. There's so much in Psalm 23 that applies to our life in dark seasons and light seasons in good times and bad times and transitions that I believe today the shepherd's heart would like us to look at what it's like for us to live life with him. And so I'm gonna be reading it from the ESV. And part of the reason for that is because if you have a a newer translation like an NIV or a CSB, Christian Standard Bible or an NRSV even, you're gonna see it's, it's somewhat familiar, but it's a little different. But I wanted to actually read it from a very familiar translation because I think for all of us, it's gonna kind of line up a lot like the King James does. I wanna take something that's very familiar to us, Psalm 23, and I wanna apply it to unfamiliar places in our life. 
Places in our life where maybe Psalm 23 is never spoken into before because we've only kind of deemed it as a funeral text. I want to take Psalm 23 like little seeds. I want to sprinkle the words of Psalm 23 in the soils of our hearts, in the broken and sad places in our hearts that the Lord might bring mending and healing. I want to take the words of Psalm 23 and sprinkle them like seeds in the joyful and hopeful places in our hearts that they might dig even deeper well of those things to to spring forth in our life. I want to take the seeds of Psalm 23 and sprinkle them in maybe the unfamiliar places like restful and peaceful places where you're already rest, you're already at peace. You may not even realize how much you need even a deeper depth of root for those things. And I just pray the Lord will do that for you. And maybe we need to take the seeds of Psalm 23 and sprinkle them into the soil of the weary and heavy places in our hearts and ask the Lord to bring vitality and flourishing back into those areas of your life. So let's reach six feet down and let's pull Psalm 23 out of the grave for a little bit. And let's see how it might encourage us in this life, especially in times of uncertainty. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is God's word. Sometimes it's hard to look at a familiar passage like Psalm 23 with fresh eyes and fresh minds when we have weary eyes and anxious minds. But I do believe the Lord wants to refresh us from Psalm 23 this morning. And so what I'd like to do to walk through these six verses together is I'd like to frame Psalm 23 around the most famous line in the psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. And I want to see how the Lord might encourage our hearts with his heart today by looking at each line, each word in the phrase, each word in the phrase. So the way we're going to frame Psalm 23 today is to see it like this. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. We're going to see that the Lord is my shepherd. We're going to see that the Lord is my shepherd. And we're going to see that the Lord 
is my shepherd. So four truths today we're gonna look at. The Lord is my shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd, and it's the Lord who is my shepherd. So first, if we just wanna look at just the fact that the Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 23, among many other Psalms, was written by David, King David, and most scholars believe he actually penned it later in his life. So majority of his life was likely in view while he wrote this Psalm. So a quick overview of David's life, if you don't know. He was a shepherd boy. He was the son of Jesse, and he turned, became one of the largest figures in the history of Israel. Definitely the most influential king in all of the Old Testament. He went from basic obscurity as the youngest of Jesse's sons out in the field, tending the flock, to then being anointed as God's chosen future king, even while Saul was the king of Israel, but had chosen to turn away from God. And then I'm sure you're aware, David kind of gained instant stardom by killing Goliath. He wasn't even supposed to fight that day. He's taken lunch to his brothers. He hears the Philistine Goliath mocking God and he steps in and kills Goliath. And despite the fact that that happened, despite the fact that God anointed him king, it would take over a decade before Saul would actually die and David would become king. And in the meantime, he basically had to run for his life. Saul was hunting him down like prey. And David is running to cities that are even outside of Israel. He's running for his life. And still yet, even when he became king, it wasn't always smooth sailing for David. He had heartache. He lost his best friend who, ended up, who was actually Saul's son, Jonathan. He had issues with many of his kids. He committed premeditated adultery and premeditated murder at one point while king. And even the child that was conceived in that adultery died as a baby. In other words, David's life was full of ups and downs. It was full of peaks and valleys, just like some of ours. We may not ever be king or queen, and we may not ever kill a Goliath, but we all have peaks and valleys in our life. We all have ups and downs. And yet for David, despite the ups and downs of his life, despite his victories and despite his defeats, the man who was once a shepherd himself saw the Lord as his shepherd. I think a lot of times we read the Bible and we see something heroic and we want to be that hero. We want to be like David. So we read ourselves into the Bible and say, we see David kill Goliath. We think, well, I've got Goliaths in my life. Um, you know, how can I slay them? Even though reality is like most of the time, we're more like the Israelites who are cowering in fear of Goliath. What's clear though, when you read Psalm 23, is that David didn't see himself that way. David saw himself as a sheep. He didn't see himself as some heroic person. He saw himself as a sheep, a feeble, helpless sheep, but a sheep with an amazing shepherd. So instead of seeing ourselves more like David as a hero, let's see ourselves more like David as a sheep. And let's look at this amazing shepherd. Verse one through three says, the Lord is my shepherd. 
I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. The Lord is our shepherd. We are his sheep. What does it mean, though, for God to be a shepherd here in the context of Psalm 23? Well, one thing it clearly means is that he's our provider. I shall not want. We have needs. God meets our needs. We need rest. He provides green pastures. We need peace. He provides still waters. We need restoration. He restores our soul. He is our provider as a shepherd. But not only that, he doesn't just provide our needs. He actually leads us into vitality. He leads us into a flourishing life. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. What does it mean though for God to lead us in paths of righteousness? Well, in short, it means he leads us down the path, or as Jesus would say, the narrow road that leads to life. Righteousness, or if your translation, if you have NIV, I think the CSB says it too, right paths, it's connoting a path of life that with our, that's within the moral and covenantal framework that God has set forth, God's design. Things like love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. The right paths are God's way of drawing us into life, drawing us into vitality, the way that he has designed everything to work. And he's calling us to walk these right paths and it leads to a flourishing life because he has designed life to work this way. The Lord is our shepherd, he leads. We follow, he's our guide and we look to him for guidance. He's not your co-pilot. He's not your consultant. He's not your homie. He's your shepherd. And we need him to be our shepherd. The way we find the provisions of rest and peace in these first three verses. In other words, the way that we flourish in life is to follow where he leads. Yet, <clears throat> I mean, if we're being honest, a lot of us today, we don't feel that peace and we don't feel that rest, at least not often. We usually feel more restless. And why do you think that is? And why do you think that for us, this seems like a pipe dream? I think if you look just at the passage itself, if you look at the context, what's most likely happening in our lives is we're losing sight of the shepherd. We lose sight of how he actually meets our needs. And instead our sight is fixed on our wants. 
Our sight is fixed on our desires that in the moment we want and they aren't met. We take our eyes off the shepherd and instead of seeing how he meets our needs, we see what wants he hasn't met. And if we're honest with ourselves, reality is like my wants change and my desires change all the time. You know, if I always got what I wanted or desired, my life would be a train wreck because they change a lot. But yet at the same time, we look at the Lord and we say, yeah, you're meeting my needs, but I actually want this over here. I know it's maybe not a need, but this is what I want. And when we lose sight of the shepherd and we look at our wants and our needs, it creates discontentment in our life, not rest. Maybe for some of you, the reason you're not feeling rest and peace is because you've entrusted peace into the stingy hands of your circumstances. You've entrusted your peace into the stingy hands of your circumstances instead of the providential hands of the Lord. Maybe right now, if you're in that beach house, uh, you know, or in the mountains or wherever your happy place is, uh, if, if you smell, sorry, I, I can smell the ocean right now as I'm thinking about it. You can smell the ocean air. Maybe you've got plans to have an amazing dinner with seafood, or if it's my wife, chicken tenders, she doesn't like seafood. You've got good food, you've got good drink, you've got peace. And it can be taken like that. A phone call, a thunderstorm, your peace is in the stingy hands of your circumstances instead of the providential hands of God. Maybe you believe that you're not finding rest because the green pastures here are not as green as those over there. Or maybe looking at the passage again for context, maybe you're not feeling peace and rest because you're not walking on righteous paths. You say you want to follow Jesus, but you want Jesus to follow you on the path that you want. And don't you know that when you walk on your own path, that it's a kindness of the Lord, that it's miserable? That's God's kindness. When you walk your own path, when you refuse to follow the Lord's righteous path, it's his kindness, not his judgment, it's his kindness to make you miserable because the reality is you're living life the way you want, not the way it was designed to be lived. And he, as a good shepherd, by allowing you to be miserable, is actually leading you back to life. He's leading you back to peace. He's leading you to rest for your souls. So maybe you're following something else instead of following your shepherd. Some of us in this room are leaders in different aspects of our life. Maybe at work, maybe at church, maybe in the community. Not everybody's a leader though. Some of us are. But here's the deal, in some way or fashion, everyone is a follower, everyone. We are all followers in some way. And the reality is that no matter your occupation, no matter your position in society, no matter your place in life, no matter your age, 
we're all being led by something or someone. We're led by our desires, we're led by our hopes, we're led by our dreams. As I said a minute ago, sometimes we're led by our circumstances and when things are hard, we jump to a new path. Maybe you're led by the approval of others. The brass tacks though is that whatever we're led by often is what ultimately is on the throne of our hearts. Whose lead we follow is who's actually functioning as our shepherd. And brothers and sisters, there's only one shepherd that's a good shepherd. He's the only shepherd that will actually lead you to peace and rest. Other shepherds will promise it. He's the only one that will deliver. So for you as a Christian, if you're a Christian today, the Lord is my shepherd. But it's important to note that the Lord is my shepherd. Notice the way the psalmist, notice the way David transitions from first and and third person talking in verses one through three. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, he leads me, he makes me. And then he transitions to second person perspective in verses four and five. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. In the first three verses, it's as though David is actually speaking to us about his shepherd. He's telling us about him, how he leads him to rest. He leads him in righteousness. But now David actually transitions and is speaking to the shepherd. Why is that? Well, notice what is actually changing here. He's going from rest and green pastures and still waters into the valley of the shadow of death. He's going from light places to dark places. What was likely in mind here for David is something not just revolving around death, but just a deep darkness. If you have the ESV, you'll notice there's a little note beside the valley of the shadow of death, and if you go down below, it'll say deep darkness. The word that's translated here, valley of the shadow of death, is actually translated in a lot of other places, like Job and other places in the Old Testament, as deep darkness. If you have the NIV, if you have the CSB, it would even say the darkest valley, even though I walked through the darkest valley. What's in mind here, most likely for David, is the valleys in Judah, they are often called a wadi. I think I said that right. And they would also cast, they would always cast deep shadows. So you're walking through this desert in Judah, these valleys, and you would see There's shadows, and you don't know what could be lurking in the shadows. It could be a robber, a bandit. Maybe behind the shadows is a predator, an animal. Even from what I had read, I didn't know this, there could be flash flooding that could happen in the valleys. 
and they can burst forth from the shadows. And it's in these moments that David speaks of his shepherd in a much more personal way. You are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. His shepherd is personal. His shepherd brings him comfort. The rod to fend off attackers, bandits, or animals. The staff with the crook at the top where he can come in and the sheep who are paralyzed because they're looking at the shadows. Did I see something move in the corner of my eye? I, I can't move. I'm not even looking at my shepherd. I'm so concerned with the shadows in this valley and the shepherd takes the crook of the staff and points him back on the way and moves him along. He is our shepherd. He is my shepherd. He's personal. He's comforting. But not just this, he's our host. We have a shepherd who's a host. When enemies are present, David says the Lord prepares him a feast and treats him as his honored guest. How do we know that? Well, verse five, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup <clears throat> overflows. In the midst of David's enemies, he knows his shepherd is not only aware that his enemies are there, but he's actually still working towards David's flourishing in his life. He has a feast in the midst of danger. He is the honored guest with his head anointed with oil and an overflowing cup of the best drink you can find. The shepherd is personal and the reality is that that's often the most evident in our lives when there's dark times. He's often more personal and it's often most evident how personal he is in danger and in darkness than in lightful and peaceful times. But brothers and sisters, he's still our shepherd in all times. But in the dark, in trying times, it's the personal nature of our shepherd that becomes all the more clear and brings all the more comfort. Psalm 23 acknowledges that dark times will come for all of us. We will all face dark valleys. Psalm 23 acknowledges that we all have, we all have enemies in life. Some of you today feel defeated. You know, reality is some of you today are defeated. Maybe you've suffered a loss lately in your life. Psalm 23 would tell you that when you find yourself in this dark valley, that it's the, Lord, the Lord will see you through the dark valley and he'll do it personally and he'll do it gently. So seek him in the dark times. Get with him in prayer. Get with him in his word. Ask him to show you his presence. I say that and many here probably think, I wish I could see his presence. <clears throat> I wish I could feel 
his presence. But I don't. I don't. And that's why it's so important for us to see the Lord is my shepherd. Is. Present tense. Current. The Lord is my shepherd. He is present in the present, regardless of your circumstances. He is present in the present. Walter Brueggemann says this about Psalm 23. He says, the name Yahweh is uttered only twice in this Psalm, abruptly at the beginning and at the end, so that the poem, the Psalm, like this trustful life, is lived fully in the presence of his name. The shepherd bookends Psalm 23, just like he bookends your life. He has preceded you. He will succeed you. The shepherd was, and the shepherd is to come, but don't lose sight that the shepherd is. The Lord is my shepherd. Look back at the Psalm, verse one. The Lord is my shepherd. Verse four, for you are with me. Verse six, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I know a guy who wrote a book on Psalm 23 for pastors. I've known him for 41 years because he's my father. And he took these six verses and wrote an entire book just taking them and applying them towards what it's like to pastor as a shepherd of a local church. And with the help of James Lindbergh in his writing, my dad says this in his book, that the essence of Psalm 23 is simply the Lord with me forever. It's beautiful. The Lord with me forever. I think we would all sign up for that. But most of us oftentimes, maybe not all the time, but oftentimes, you feel like the Lord's more playing hide and seek. The shepherd is with us forever, the shepherd with us in all of life. That's what the Psalm teaches, but we just don't always feel it to be true. He's playing hide and seek. This week, my five-year-old Brooks and I went with my wife to Lowe's. I didn't say that backwards. Me and my boy went with my wife to Lowe's. She's an interior designer, she's a boss. So we tag along. And what was meant to take 15 minutes took that plus an hour. And so uh, when you uh, are a guy who works with your hands and does all these crafts and your five-year-old's with you at Lowe's, you go do, look at the power tools, you know, you maybe go cut lumber. When you use your hands at a computer or don't know what to do with them when you preach, you play hide and seek. That's what you do with your five-year-old. And so we play hide and seek 
And uh, here's, you know, Brooks comes up to me and says, it's my turn to hide. Um, I'm an accountant, you go hide, you know? And so we, because I'm not a terrible dad, I'm like, okay, well, mom's over here. You gotta stay in these, you know, five lanes or whatever. You can't go too far away. So I, he counts, I go hide, he finds me. Then I love this. He doesn't say, I wanna come find you. He says, now it's my turn to seek because it's not called hide and find you. It's called hide and seek. So he, well, I don't have to explain. You know how hide and seek works. So this is what he's doing. We're playing hide and seek. And of course, as you know, like when you play hide and seek, if you're the one hiding, there's like this anticipation. Like, I can't wait to be found. You know, especially when it's a young child, you know, it's kind of like, I want to hide, but I I also want to like wave and show you where I am. I I can't wait. It's like, and so what happens is most of the time, he's actually not really hiding that well. He's like right in the middle of the aisle, waiting on me to find him. He's hiding in plain sight, basically. And a lot of us actually look at our life with the Lord like this. Maybe you're seeking the Lord and you feel like he's hiding from you. And you're counting and you're, you're, you're waiting for him to find him. And you think, is this a game, God? Is this a game you're playing with me? Where are you? You don't sense that he's hiding in plain sight. He's cloaked in darkness. Maybe he's the one hiding in the shadows, in the valley. But Psalm 23 tells you that the Lord is with you. When? Forever. The Lord with me forever. He's not hiding. He's leading you. He's not pushing you away. He's holding you. Maybe for some of you, it's the other way around. You're the one hiding. You keep running off to try to get out from under his leadership. You're like, man, I, I, I thought I wanted to follow you, but you are, you're relentless, Lord. I'm, I'm going over here. Maybe you just want, maybe you actually never really wanted God. You just wanted his stuff. You wanted his peace. You wanted his rest. You wanted his pastures on your terms. Maybe you're running on a different paths instead of righteous paths or you're looking for a different pasture. Let me just gently show you, if that's you in the room, if you're running from God, if you're hiding, look at what Psalm 139 says. Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in shale, you are there. If I take wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. When you try and hide from the shepherd, you are like a toddler hiding in plain sight. The Lord sees you and he desires to lead you and to follow him into fullness of life. Why are you hiding from a shepherd like that? He wants to lead you into fullness of life. Why? 
Why do you think he wants to lead you in the fullness of life? Why can we believe that's true? Why can we be confident that he'll succeed in it? I'll tell you why. Because the Lord, the Lord is my shepherd. Jehovah. The personal name of God. Fun fact for you, when you see in your Bible the word Lord like this, all caps. What that is telling you in an English translation is that that is the personal and covenant name of God, Yahweh. Israelites, Jews, they would not typically write, much less say Yahweh. What they would do though is they would add, the, there was no vowels, the only consonants in the word Yahweh, and they would take the word Adonai, which means Lord, and they would, which can be used as Lord in other contexts as well, and they would take that vowel, those vowels from Adonai, they would apply it to Yahweh, and that's where you get the name Jehovah. Jehovah and Yahweh are the same. It's the personal name of God. It's not Elohim, which is just God. When you see God, capital G, lowercase o-d in your Bibles, that's Elohim. This is the Lord, all caps, Yahweh, the covenant personal name of God. Psalm 23 shows us that we can trust our shepherd because our shepherd is the Lord. Yahweh, the God who made all things, the God who sustains all things, the God who is sovereign over all things and who, and we can actually call him by name because he's called us by name. Our confidence that the Lord will lead us through all of life comes first and foremost because of his commitment to his own name and glory. Look what he says in, in 23.3. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Why? For his name's sake. He leads me in paths of righteousness for the sake of the name Jehovah. And you might think that's kind of odd. It's good news is what it is. It's good news. If you or I are the point, purpose, and prime motivation for the Lord leading us to still waters, if you or I are the purpose and prime motivation for the Lord leading us to green pastures, if you or I are the purpose and prime reason that God leads us through dark valleys, your confidence will be shot. You will never have confidence because your eyes will always be on yourself. My happiness, my performance, my righteousness, my wants. It's never gonna lead you to confidence in the shepherd because you know why? You know you. You know you. I know me. You know your failures. You know your limitations. Hopefully, you know your lack of understanding. And you definitely know your lack of righteousness. 
But this is good news that the Lord is committed to you because he called you to restoration with him by believing in his name. And he's committed to seeing you through for the sake of his name because his name is tied to his sheep. And one last thing of why you can be confident that no matter where you are in life, he is leading you and shepherding you to vitality. One thing, one last thing, but a big thing that can make you confident is that Jesus went before you into the darkest valley. John 10, wrapping up, this is what Jesus says in John 10, verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Speaking of the Gentiles. Us. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. If you come to Jesus in faith, you are assured of this shepherd heart for you, even in the darkest valley, because he's already walked through it for his own sheep. And this is how we can know. Where Psalm 23, 6 says, surely the goodness and steadfast love will follow me. Maybe your translation translation says will pursue me all my days. We can know that goodness and steadfast love will follow us all our days and forevermore in the house of the Lord, because Jesus loves his sheep. And even when you're walking into the dark valley of death, he's gone before you. He will walk with you through. And brothers and sisters, he will raise you up. He has the authority to do that. And he promises to. What a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. If you are here today or watching online and you've never turned to Jesus and come under his shepherd care, let me invite you to do that today. Matthew 11 just says, come to him. 
Turn from yourself, come to Jesus, and he will provide rest for your souls. Turn away from your path and let Jesus lead you all the days of your life. If you're a follower of Jesus, then the call of action today for you is just to seek his leadership. Maybe you've taken your eyes off the shepherd. He's still present in your present, but you're trying to take your own paths and they're not really leading to peace and rest. Fix your eyes on your shepherd Lord and ask the Lord to encourage your heart today that he is with you. And if you're hiding from the shepherd today, he's a good shepherd who wants to lead you into life, into flourishing. Will you follow him for his name's sake and for your flourishing and vitality of life? He wants to show you goodness and steadfast love all your days. And finally, as Jesus said in John 10, there's one flock, one shepherd across all time. But that also means that we are following Jesus together in this church. He's our shepherd. We are his flock. So brothers and sisters, I want you to hear me. Please look at me. We are not enemies. We are not enemies. We are family. We are one flock with one shepherd. And if you heard, he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies and you thought about someone in this room. God, forgive us. We have an enemy, but he's not flesh and blood. Don't let that enemy who Peter says prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to devour you Don't let him in the door by holding bitterness towards a brother or sister. Let's let the Spirit show us our shepherd. Sprinkle seeds of Psalm 23 into the soils of our hearts. And may it bear fruit in keeping with repentance in his time in his way, let's deal with the Lord.
Father, you are such a faithful God. You provide for us and you lead us into places that bring us life, into places that bring us flourishing. We grow like a tree by streams of running water. We flourish like a vine. Open our eyes to see the way you take care of us and help us to sense the reality of your presence in all seasons of life, but especially in uncertain times and in the dark valleys. Show us your rod and your staff in those valleys and allow us to rejoice in the comfort that you bring. Father, remove obstacles in our lives that are impairing our vision of you as a shepherd who leads us through all our life, that we may have confidence that goodness and steadfast love will follow us all our days and into your presence forevermore. Thank you that we can be confident because your name and the name of Jesus who walked into the valley before us and was raised back to life is a name we can depend on. And it's in his name that we pray, amen.